I am Tova Cito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. everyone. Happy Monday and welcome to the next episode with Tovacito with The Remedy. I am sitting here today with a gentleman named Chico West. <clears throat> Chico, good morning. Good morning, Tova. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. How are you today? I'm great as well. Good. I'm so, so happy to have you here today. Today we are talking about a topic that I think will probably be familiar to most people. Uh, the topic that we are going to discuss today is addiction. Um, Chico West is known here. I've heard your name for years um, in Dallas, Texas, as um, kind of the 911 person to call. Um, I was a youth pastor for years, as you know. And um, I knew that if there was a youth or a teen uh, who was in trouble or who needed an intervention, that you were the person to call. But I know that your role um, is, and your life and, and, and your, the way that you've helped people with addiction has spanned um, for a lot of years in, a, in many different roles, not just interventions with teenagers. Um, so I would love to talk to you today about addiction. I don't know a lot about addiction. Um, nobody close to me has ever had a real addiction problem. Thank God I've never... Struggled with addiction. I've struggled with a lot of other things, but addiction has not been one of them. But um, but I know people who haven't, and it uh, it kind of takes over people's lives and even people's families. And uh, you just I've seen it just really take down um, a lot of people. Well, and it can be devastating. You know, it it grabs a hold of of people and. And just kind of rips apart everybody around them yeah. as well. Yeah. So that's what I've seen. Um, so let's start, Chico. Just tell me, what do you do? How did you start? What What are? I'm sure you have letters behind your name that mean important things. So tell us, um, tell us about you, where you work, what you do. Well, a little bit is uh, I'm getting ready to celebrate 29 years of sobriety. I got sober in college, mm -hmm. went to treatment myself, and. Back then in 1989, uh, they didn't call them sober living or transitional living. They called it halfway house. Mm -hmm. And so I did that after treatment. Um, you went to a halfway house? I went to a treatment center and then okay. a halfway house. Okay. Um, and it was in Atlanta, Georgia. I went to treatment out in Tucson, Arizona. Okay. Uh, and so I, I, I went uh, because I was... Uh, I had gotten in trouble with the law, gotten in trouble with my fraternity. My fraternity told me not to drink. They didn't do that back in 89. <laughs> I'm sure that I don't think they're doing it still. <laughs> uh, it, it was crazy. They put me on alcohol probation wow. as a pledge. Okay, so wait a minute. Well, we can we can get to what you're doing now, but let's just go back to that. I, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to start with I think it, you said tomorrow, right? Tomorrow's your... Yes, August 28th, is, 1989. 1989. You will have been sober for... 29 years. 29 years. Okay, so when did you when did you start drinking? I started drinking at 11. What? Yes. Why? How? It, 
well, back then in in the early '80s, the drinking age in Texas was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had some some traumatic stuff that had happened uh, in my life. I had an aunt die, and then I had my dad die, um, and I was the oldest of three boys. How old were you when your aunt died and your dad died? Eight and ten. Oh, wow. yeah. Was it was your dad's death sudden? It was sudden. Both of them were were car accidents. Oh gosh. Uh, yes, my dad was thirty one years old, and my aunt was about the same age, and mm. so it was. Uh, the, those were were tough things. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in South Texas, down in San Antonio, and when I grew up. My dad was the oldest of six boys. I was the oldest of three boys at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom remarried after my dad passed away, and I have a brother that's 15 years younger, and mm-hmm. so I'm the oldest of four. Okay. Uh, and back then, what do what do men do? I was told by my granddad when my uh, dad uh, passed away, okay, you need to be the man of the house. Oh, gosh. I at re- 11. Yes. I remember that distinctly. You know, I believe my mom when she told me, oh, no, you need to be a little boy. Mm. I didn't remember that. Mm. I wanted to be the man. And what do men do? Mm. They drink. Mm. Um, and so I started drinking. Did your dad drink? Oh, yes. Okay. So y- yes. you you remember your dad drinking? Oh, yes. Okay. I remember everybody in my family drinking. Oh, okay. Hey. Did they, do you think they struggled? Did they struggle? Was he an alcoholic? Yes, I out. I don't know. He was he was thirty one. I think so, but I was mm-hmm. so young. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very high functioning. Mm-hmm. His mom uh, was an alcoholic, died sober, and mm-hmm. so that was what it, I knew. Alcoholics mm-hmm. uh, in my life when I got sober, mm-hmm. one of them being my grandmother, went to multiple treatment programs. You know, did the whole gamut. Mm-hmm. Uh, his baby brother, who was closer to my age, you know, died of this disease. Mm. Uh, and so it's it's all over, you know, my family, even on, on both sides. Mm. And so I started drinking, really consistently drinking in seventh and eighth grade. Do you remember your first drink? Oh, yes. And what was it? Wh- under what circumstance? I was uh, spending the night at a friend's house mm-hmm. uh, in sixth grade, and he had older brother that was in ninth grade and there was girls there that were ninth graders and they were drinking and they uh they gave us some some booze and so i was with two of my was it beer uh it was beer and alcohol okay you know and liquor Mm -hmm. Uh, beer is alcohol (laughs) (laughs) i knew what you meant yes (laughs) so you're you have your first drink at 11 years old yeah and did you like it I, that first time I was a, I was a little scared, mm-hmm. you know. But in starting in seventh grade, it was like oh, every weekend deal. I cannot believe. And so I have, I have kids going into the ninth grade. I mean, yes. maybe I'm naive, but I can't even imagine how they they're too they're so young. Yes, I and we had a we had a real good friend that was kind of Italian, and the older kids would have him buy booze the the ninth and tenth graders because he looked eighteen. And so we had our little spots all over our community that we'd ride our bikes, drink back in the woods, then ride around drunk on our bicycles. And did your did your mom know you were drinking? I I got caught the first time in in seventh grade, mm-hmm. you know, and then multiple times in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. My parents, uh, you know, they their gift is hospitality, especially my mom. Mm. So she would have parties starting in eighth grade and quit serving booze at the house. Mm. thinking that would stop it mm. you know she also got a um a little intense on on her beliefs took mm. out all the tvs in the house so in high school for a couple of years 
We didn't have TVs, no. thinking that would help also. Oh. <laughs> I don't think that works. <laughs> no, it didn't. It didn't work. It just <laughs> intensified. Spend, the, spend yes. the night out more. <laughs> no, I, I stopped spending the night out. She she put that. But I started sneaking out. Oh, yes. Right, there you go. Yes, and so then you know, just consequence after consequence. Um, in high school, I I said many times. Um, a consequence would happen and I would really believe it. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drug. You know, I had that firm resolution over and over. Made geographic changes. I had some friends that went to boarding school. I I told my parents my freshman year saying, hey, I want to go to boarding school, trying to get some some sympathy from them. Mm -hmm. And the next weekend, we're up in uh, New England area looking at boarding schools and I'm going, no, I was joking. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. But I went to a strong Christian prep school, and intending not to drink or drug. So that's why you were you were trying to find solutions yourself to get oh, out of it. Yes, and that's what the alcoholic does. The, when I say alcoholic, that's alcoholic drug addict. Mm-hmm. Always trying to find solutions. Always having uh, this firm resolution when consequences happen. Really? You could have put me on a. You could have given me a polygraph test, and I would have. I would have passed it. It was believable. Because you you did want to stop. Oh, yes. There's multiple times. Even just in the ninth grade? Ninth, tenth, you know, wow. in high school, in college. And wow. so when I was, you know, my my fraternity, I was a a pledge, and they put me on alcohol probation. Okay, they, where'd, where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to college? I went my first year to a little school in North Carolina called High Point, okay. and then I transferred to SMU. That was okay. during the death penalty. And so oh. mm. at SMU, I was an upper class pledge. Mm-hmm. And I had I had some uh fraternity brothers that told me, Oh, you're weak if you can't control your drinking. Mm-hmm. And I thought so too. I thought mm-hmm. it was for uh alcoholics were grandmothers. Mm. So when you drank, did you always get drunk? I not always, but almost every time. And is that well, we'll get into... Let's get into yeah. that. Yeah. And so I went and got sober and, mm-hmm. you know, there's consequences and and I went back to SMU. So so you... Ha- tell me the process of you becoming... You admitting and getting help or you I didn't going ad- to treatment or I, how I, wait, I went to treatment because I had, I had definite many, many, many consequences. And the last mm-hmm. consequence was my uh, buddies in Austin. I was supposed to be up at... Dallas, but I was at a fraternity party in Austin, mm-hmm. uh, got arrested, and my friends didn't bail me out. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally got out, I told my parents, I need help. Wow. And so I was, I went to treatment to avoid the consequences with the law. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going, okay, I'm going to be sober forever. I knew I needed to, to stop drinking for a time period. Mm-hmm. And something changed when I was in uh, treatment. And it was a process. What changed? Well, I went to treatment for 30 days and then I came home. I went to, I went to halfway house mm-hmm. and I was at halfway house for a little bit. After I, the treatment. After the treatment, straight mm-hmm. to halfway house or what they say now, sober living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was on break for three or four days, my first time back in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had a, a spiritual experience. In San Antonio? In San Antonio, 90 days sober. That's why I have now an all-male program 
that is 90 days. I mean, so oh. there's a lot of my own experience. Oh. And so it was it was a powerful uh, experience at Can that time. Can you talk about that? Oh, yeah. Was, I'd love to hear it. Um, and so I was, I was in treatment mm-hmm. and then in Halfway House, working the steps from Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. had a sponsor, but was really struggling with forgiving myself mm-hmm. for all the things that I'd done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was home and went to a church service with my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was this missionary named Sammy Tibbetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we were at the church service, he was just talking about Romania. And how he was a missionary for the Romanians. Mm-hmm. And the Romanians at that time, that was during Ceausescu, I think that's how you say it, the dictator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was killing all the Christians. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to make a million-man army. Mm-hmm. And so Sammy was just talking about that uh, and how the men would get around the church on the outside and the women and children would be in the church. And how... Uh, Ceausescu's army would come and kill the men and burn the women and children in the church. Oh, my gosh. And that just grabbed a hold of me and said, these people can believe in a God just because uh, that and are willing to die for that. And that's when I just surrendered my life. I'd, I'd really wanted that, continued to work the steps, continued to do uh, my, my treatment, went back to SMU, Finished my degree. SMU at the time was thinking about kicking me out before I got sober. Mm. Um, so I went to, back to SMU, finished that, did that, uh, went overseas after I graduated working on military bases with the DOD kids, the Department of Defense kids mm-hmm. at the high schools and junior highs there. Mm-hmm. And so three and a half years later from that date, of hearing about Sammy Tibbetts, mm-hmm. I lead a group of 10 people to a big uh, service project in Romania. Mm. Wow. And so it, it's still, you know, 20, you know, five years later, 1993, I still get chills thinking of that. The God is so powerful, mm. you know, and brought me to that place that I got to experience that. Do you think, Chico... Do you think that you can get sober without, without um, a spiritual, without the spiritual component? Without the spiritual component? Mm-hmm. Well, it depends on how you define sober. Mm. How do you define sober? I like the little acronym, you know, son of a bitch, everything's real. <laughs> heard that you've never heard that i've never heard that (laughs) i believe that you know us when Mm -hmm. i say alcoholics alcoholics addicts i believe we have a spiritual malady Mm -hmm. you know there's 10 to 15 percent of the population that i believe have that spiritual malady that allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind and what does that mean what does that mean Mm -hmm. the allergy of the body is uh it the phenomenon of craving occurs Mm -hmm. and so when someone starts to ingest drugs or alcohol Mm -hmm. you know Tova, you, you, you might drink. My wife drinks. Mm-hmm. You know, She doesn't get the allergy in the sense that when she starts drinking that she wants more. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if I drank, I would want more. It, my throat would open up. Kind of a little opposite than someone with a strawberry allergy. If they have mm-hmm. a strawberry allergy, their throat closes. Mm-hmm. 
You know, but if if I had a straw or if you had a strawberry allergy and you love strawberries and then we have to take you to the hospital and, you know, get you an EpiPen and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I, I'm sitting there experiencing that with you. Mm-hmm. Then two weeks later, you want to eat strawberries again. Mm-hmm. So that's that that phenomenon of craving. The craving occurs when you start using. So you don't crave it if you're not using it. Exactly. If you're if you're doing that, and so that's the that's the body part. So the allergy occurs, okay. and then when the allergy occurs, um, you have consequences, mm-hmm. and you get to that place of that firm resolution. There, there is that spiritual malady, mm-hmm. and when you get to that place of the firm resolution, you can get in, almost any addict mm-hmm. uh, and put them on a polygraph, and they are convinced. And they are believable, and they'll talk to their loved ones. Okay, I'm not doing it again, and they really believe it. Mm. You know, the I nevers. Mm. You know, then what happens is they become restless, irritable, discontented. Mm. And so, when you get restless, irritable, discontented, it moves on to uh, the mental obsession. I have to get relief, mm. and so it's this giant cycle: the allergy of the body, the firm resolution. The RID, restless, irritable, discontent, Mm. then moves to this mental obsession. And they see others drinking or using with impunity, without any consequences. Mm. And so they go, I need that relief. So the mental obsession is different than the allergy. That's the mind part. And so then they get back into that cycle. Oh, I can do a little. They don't intend to, but they they want, oh, I I can get away with it just now. Mm. You know, I'm going to take away. That becomes the solution. So it's this giant cycle. But once they start, they can't. They can't just do a little. No. Mm. And so your throat opens up, or you want more, or mm. or those kind of things. So there, it's a it's an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. Mm. And then there's down here when you get that firm that spirit. You know, there's that spiritual malady. And if we mm. don't put something in there, boom. So when you say, you know, can people get sober? Mm-hmm. Uh, right now in our industry, there's called MAT. What MAT stands for? Mm-hmm. Medication-assisted treatment. Okay. And I'm not I'm not saying yes or no to medication-assisted treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, with with a lot of the this opiate epidemic that's occurring. I don't know. I don't know what that is. The opiate epidemic. Yeah. What's that? Um, opiates. I could. We could spend the whole time talking about this. <laughs> so I'll I'll try. Is to it s- a drug? Opiates is a drug, yes. Okay. You know, okay. opiates is a drug that uh, comes from the poppy plant. Okay. And it is our it's our strongest painkiller. Mm. And so doctors use it all the time. Okay. But it's addictive. Yes. And you hear have you heard of heroin? Yeah. Yes. I've heard of heroin. <laughs> heroin is an opiate. Okay. 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 And so the opiate epidemic really exploded in early two thousand. And so this is this is my belief. It started when we added a fifth vital sign, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's always been four vital signs, and mm-hmm. the you know, heart rate, respiratory rate, uh, temperature, and blood pressure. Okay. Those are you know concrete. Nothing changes. Okay. And then you have kids. Have you taken your kids to the doctor mm-hmm. and seen that chart on the wall, the pain chart? Oh yes. And the yes. smiley faces. Yes. 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 So we added a fifth vital sign, but that's very objective, not subjective. Mm. And so what happened in 1999, 2000, is really from, in my opinion, the VA hospital was getting bad reviews. And they go, we got to do something because a lot of these vets were coming in and having a lot of pain. Well, we'll solve it. If they have high pain, 
we, we'll give them an opiate. Mm-hmm. And the pharmaceutical companies created Oxycontin, mm-hmm. and they spent $200, mil, $200 million talking to doctors and saying, this is an opiate that addresses pain that is non-addictive. Wow. And so you have, I've, I've worked with so many young people that are in college and stuff and get, uh, have an accident, you know, get hurt. It went, you know, blow their knee out or their shoulder mm-hmm. and doctors were prescribing opiates mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, man, they are addicted mm-hmm. to those opiates. Mm-hmm. And then it gets expensive to try to get the really great pharmaceutical grade opiate mm-hmm. and they go to heroin. Jeez. And so this opiate epidemic, uh, 2016, I think there were 64,000 people in our country that died from opiates. Oh, my gosh. And so the pharmaceutical companies, you know, created this drug that they said weren't addictive. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, so they create another drug that will take away uh, that addictive component. Oh, wow. And so we're going to the pharmaceutical companies and it's very political Mm -hmm, i'm sure you know and i'm not and if 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 it saves someone's life okay Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. our program is abstinence-based okay do you so to that point do you believe that anyone who is has been an addict in their life do you think that they can have a drink every once in a while no no you think that if you're an allergy of the body and an Mm -hmm. obsession of the mind okay so and that cycle will never end it, it won't end. It, it'll just uh, remain. Sometimes it remains dormant. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm not cured mm-hmm. of my alcoholism. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Wow. Ooh, I like that. You like that? Mm-hmm. That's not original thought on my end. I like it, though. You it's know, really th- good. Yeah. So it came about in the 1930s, 1935 to 37. So what is that spiritual practice that, that keeps you on track? I, I get up every day and spend time in, in prayer and meditation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's part of it. Also, I have community. I have other men holding me accountable. And then, you know, my wife, mm-hmm. and, you know, she mm-hmm. definitely holds me accountable. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, she's a good woman. And so then, you know, I have I have others that do that, that really challenge me on my thinking. Mm-hmm. There, there's kind of a AA saying, you know, watch the stinking thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it, it it's always checking on those things. Do you do you still struggle with the temptation to drink or use drugs or any of it? I don't. I don't struggle today with the temptation to mm-hmm. you know use drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. But I struggle. What what I struggle with is I I got to continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And if I if I give in to any of those, mm-hmm. it it won't be it won't be if you know that opportunity shows up. It'll be when. Mm-hmm. And so I have to continue to look for that. Mm-hmm. Continue to look for that selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Are those specific to you? You're saying those are the things you struggle with, or you think those are the things that anybody who has had an addiction needs to watch? Well, do you struggle with those things? I struggle with all those things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that's the human condition. Yeah. Ah. I, I think, though, the alcoholic, the addict, you, struggles with those, and they find the solution to be to get drunk, to get high. I see. <clears throat> And stuff like that. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, we all cope. 
you know, if I if I struggle with those things, I'm sure I have things that I do that are not healthy to cope with the fear or cope with. I mean, I, I, the, the selfishness, yeah, or which dishonesty I mean, or yeah. whatever the situation is. Right, right. We all have yes. that. So, um, once you became sober, did you ever drink or use again? No. That's amazing. I I don't know if it's that amazing. I mean, I, you, I I'm sure you see it all the time, but I just have heard so many stories of people who just relapse after relapse after relapse who really. Yeah, I mean, if you want to say, okay, that is amazing. Okay, it is It is by God's grace mm-hmm. and the gift of Alcoholics Anonymous mm-hmm. that that I've taken simple directions and applied them in all areas of my life. Mm-hmm. So it's dis- it's just a discipline that we all have to live by yes. for different reasons. And so with lots of times when I hear people say, oh, it's it's amazing, I, I really grabbed a hold of the fact that, man, I am an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's if really I if thing. I use, I know what the consequences are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so yes, it it is it is amazing, but it is also okay. I I know what happens if I use, mm-hmm. and I I am I I can really see that even today, almost twenty nine years later. Wow, and I'm sure that that thought process saves you from yourself, has saved you from yourself for many many years. Yes, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. it is good. You know, I got a mm-hmm. you know sponsored. You know, working with other guys, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So you get sober, and um, what what did you study at, at SMU? Oh, at SMU, I was mm-hmm. uh, communications major, uh, public relations, journalism. So once you went through your program and became sober, did you know immediately that this is what you wanted to dedicate your life to? No, immediately I was in the business school. I changed that. You know, it was early 90s. Our economy was in the dumps. <laughs> uh, and so I I started getting involved in Young Life. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I went overseas with Young Life and working in uh, with the Department of Defense kids. And I found that I was attracted to the kids that were struggling the way I was struggling just earlier. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so then I went and I started my graduate work in an emancipation program for troubled teens. Where and did you do that? It, it was in Colorado Springs called the Dale House Project. I've never heard of I've never heard of either one of those things. I've never That's heard of That's the great thing is there's mm-hmm. so many good things out there that we don't know about mm-hmm. and it, it was part of young life and mm-hmm. then, and so I started my graduate work through Fuller Seminary but mm-hmm. it was like hands on. We were helping kids through social services and youth services. Youth services was the juvenile detention prison system and emancipating these 16, 17, 18-year-olds into society. Mm. They were taken away, a lot of them taken away from their families because of the abuse and trauma and neglect. Mm. Some of them were had big consequences from dealing drugs or you know drive-by shootings and stuff like that. Yeah. So it, it was powerful. And then I came back to Dallas and SMU who should who who probably needed to expel me back in eighty nine mm-hmm. hires me as the drug and alcohol counselor. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. It is crazy. Full circle. Yes. <laughs> and so then I finished my graduate work at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. And what did you study there? I got a master's of art in biblical counseling. Okay. And so after I completed that and did my intern hours, I, I became an LPC intern. Then I, you know, took the state test and 
became an LPC, licensed professional counselor. And now I'm a licensed professional counselor supervisor. So I did some extra school and uh, got my supervision status and trained other LPC interns. Okay. How old were you when you came back to SMU, go to school? Uh, when, and, when, and DTS, what, at what age is this time frame? Uh, after I went overseas and then the Dale House Project, I was uh, 27, 26, 27 years old. Okay. Yes. And were you married at the time? I got married right after I came back, about six months later. How did you meet your wife? I had some girls from SMU introduced me to her on her birthday, her 22nd birthday. Oh, and so son. she's younger. She She's a year and a half. She likes to say two years younger. <laughs> so y'all dated for a long time. We dated for three years. We got married. She was 25. I, I was 26, turned 27 shortly after our wedding. Okay. So you dated long distance while you were... We dated. We're, we're that random. We dated long distance overseas, Colorado yeah. Springs. I asked her to marry me when I was living in Colorado Springs. Oh, really? So we never lived Jeez. in the same town. We're coming up, you know, we just celebrated 23 years of marriage. It's, it, once again, another God thing. Yeah, Get out of amazing. the way and allow him. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's a really spectacular, she just has a great spirit she about her. Does. Yeah. She does. You know, she has a gift of faith big time. Yeah, she's, she, and she's cool. And she's cool. Yeah. Yes. She's a cool. She's, you got to be cool to be <laughs> hanging with me. <laughs> yeah. Got to be cool. Okay. So was she ever, did she struggle? Ever with alcohol? No. Or drugs? Or no. So did it scare her? Did it ever scare her that this was something that had been in your past? I I don't I don't know. It scared her. It scared her parents definitely. Mm-hmm. That's, which, which is that's understandable. understandable. Yeah. Definitely understandable. So I don't I don't think it scared her. She has an incredible faith and mm-hmm. believed in me a lot more times than I believed in myself. I I can't imagine the strength that you drew from that. Yeah, it was it was it was that's random. special. So did you know I did my SMU deal and then worked in an intensive outpatient program. Uh, was a CEO of a program called Burning Tree, mm-hmm. and it it was powerful. It just opened, and I was young and over my head, <laughs> but I always liked. I started doing interventions when I was at SMU. And so, yes, I did that. And then in the 90s, when I, late 90s, when I finished my grad work, I started having a private practice and stuff like that. Um, and did that, did my private practice for about five, six years before I opened uh, a real structured uh, sober living here in, in Dallas, Texas. So tell me about that program. Tell me about what, what that looks like. Well, I'd been, it, it was crazy, Tova. I, I'd been doing uh, what you'll hear in our industry, case management and stuff like that mm-hmm. with uh, clients, really interacting with the, the clients that you were working with, setting them up for groups and checking out on them when they're newly sober. I was doing that in 2000 to, to 2004, 2005. They were living in just a, a Bare basic sober homes, like called Oxford houses, mm-hmm. no structure. You know, people my age now and these twenty-year-olds living uh, there, and what, no requirements or ac- not much accountability. 
but I was I was working with them, doing groups, individuals, checking on them. Mm-hmm. And I go, I need to do something. I I went to halfway house. Now they call it sober living. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked at the Dale House Project, high accountability. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I took a little bit of all the different experiences I had mm-hmm. uh, and created a program that was that had a lot of structure but was really focused on community. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm big on community, big on that accountability, mm-hmm. uh, big on uh, in encouraging these these young men mm-hmm. to be um, be responsible for themselves, mm-hmm. not have mom and dad be responsible. Mm-hmm. So I created this program and. Uh, had a great staff, had a great community, um, and it, it was it was a, a fun ride for uh, how long I had it. I sold it a year and a half ago. Wow! Why did you get out of it? And that's another. That would be another podcast that maybe <laughs> okay. we could sh- we could set up then. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh wow! So what do you do now? So now I have a program called Casa Kalina Addiction Treatment Center. It was okay. a dream that I started to have in 1998 when I finished grad school. Wow. It's like, man, I want an all-male, longer-term treatment program. Mm. The treatment model for a rehab, you might want to call it. Mm-hmm. John Oliver did a... I liked he did this good kind of special, you know, that HBO guy that's mm-hmm. funny, talking about yeah, yeah. rehab. Mm-hmm. Um some people in the industry are going, uh-oh, rehab's kind of out there. And it is out there right now. But most programs uh, came came about are this 30-day model. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to have a longer-term model. We want our guys to have uh, 90 days. Uh, Why 90? Why is that the magic number? Well, in the first 30 days, lots mm-hmm. of times their head is just clearing up after they've gone through detox. Mm-hmm. They're, they're starting to get clearer mm-hmm. and and... They, they get a, this confidence. They haven't used in, you know, 20, 25, 30 days, and they're, they believe they're ready to go, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And so some of them might, might be in my program and been using for 20 years, mm-hmm. and they think 30 is the quick answer. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's, there's this process, and we've created a program that is, you know, clinically uh, integrated mm-hmm. uh, to really help guys not just survive but to thrive. I'd mm. seen programs doing interventions, sending people to treatment for years. And a lot of these programs, though well-intended, were teaching uh, men and women to survive when I wanted to really just, not just get them to survive, but to thrive. That's great. I love yeah. that. And so that's that's what I think we've done at Casa Kalina. It's on 220 acres, just south of Dallas. Um, it's called Casa what? Casa Colina. What? Why Casa Colina? It means house on the hill. Oh. And it's a house on a hill oh, on 220 acres. It's wow. incredible. And so we really begin also to address those core wounds mm. that men struggle with. Mm. Women struggle with them too. But mm-hmm. we we created a program where every six weeks I bring this lady Mary Belafonto. She I you got to meet her. She <laughs> is incredible. And she does this this two day intensive workshop, you know, different than our uh, our our normal model. So every six weeks we do that. And what what does she do that's different? She does she does that she uses this therapy called psychodrama. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's seventy three years old. She's mm-hmm. been around for a long time. Started in the early seventies uh, in this field, and 
she she can get in touch with the wounds that keep holding you back. I've wow. seen a lot of men uh, that really want to be sober. They get five, ten years of sobriety and never dealt with the wound, mm. and it takes them back out. And then they have all this shame. Mm. Alcoholism, you know, addiction is a shame-based disease. Yeah. Like you're a bad person. Yeah. I, it's not I like diabetes. Diabetes, right. it, it's not a shame-based. Your pancreas isn't working. Right. Right. But the relapse rate for diabetes is about the same as addiction. Wow. It's it's a really powerful thing to say because you know, I and and I've seen I've dear friends who whose children have struggled and I have seen I've seen that cycle of shame and what that does to to the the you know, the person who's dealing with it and then the family and I mean they when you have an addiction and you continue to let people down, cost everybody money, time, disappointment, tears. I just can't imagine how hard that must be to know that that your actions and your addiction and your disease is causing all of this. But you're right. I mean, no, everybody feels sorry for the diabetic or the person who... Hypertension uh, yeah, or whatever. Whatever it is. But people look at somebody with addiction as weak or problematic or rebellious or yes. just, just messed up. They, they don't see that it's an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. Yeah. And see, here's the deal. It's not just a shame-based disease for that individual. It's a shame-based disease for the family. Yeah, it is. And so our yeah. mission at Casa Kalina is to equip men and their families mm. with the tools for a lifetime of freedom and sobriety. It's really So good. we're real big on the family. So just like when I was, you know, talking about the the cycle of addiction for the the alcoholic or mm-hmm. or drug addict, mm-hmm. I believe there's that same cycle. Have you heard the word codependent? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there's the same cycle for the codependent. Before we came up with the word for codependent, mm-hmm. the codependent's the one. It's it came out of the addiction realm back in the '80s. That word codependent. Mm-hmm. It's it's they're they're loving their loved one to death in a way. Mm. They were getting in there, taking on all their feelings, carrying those, fixing, protecting, rescuing. They, I believe they have the same cycle. They have the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. Their allergy is to fix that person. Mm. And then what happens? They get this firm resolution. Okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. They they really believe it. They become restless, irritable, discontent. Mm-hmm. Their loved one is is doing well, especially when I had that sober living home. Mm-hmm. They These young men, 22, 24 years old, their parents would come visit and say, I'm so proud of you. And mm-hmm. I would ask the parent, what are you proud of? That they're not using dope? <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. they have a job and they're actually contributing financially to their stay here. Mm-hmm. Aren't they supposed to do that? They're 24 years old. Mm-hmm. What are you proud of? Mm-hmm. That's good. You know, and so that's, you know, they get in and rescue them. Oh, buy them a new car. Mm. You know, give them several thousand dollars to spend. Because they were sober for three months or whatever. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, or mm-hmm. six months or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's bail them, you know, out. Mm-hmm. They are wrestling. Mm. And so that that there's that same cycle of addiction with the with the codependent or chief enabler. Mm-hmm. But we called that person before all those terms the co-addict. The co-addict's addicted to the alcoholic. Oh, dang. Yes. I'm sure, I mean, I I think that if one of my children became addicted, I could see myself doing all of those same things. 
I mean, I just I could, I mean, just just perpetuating the behavior because I want it to end so badly. Well, Shannon and I, my wife, mm-hmm. we we in in jest, but there it's actual honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a 19 year old and a 14 year old. We we tell people all the time we're saving for college and rehab. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. we are not immune. Mm-hmm. Right. Knowing and living this out and making it our 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 mission, our ministry. Yeah. Of, of helping others, mm-hmm. that we need other people in our life. If it, our emotion, we are, we are too emotionally invested mm-hmm. in our boys mm-hmm. to make rational decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which really is probably, um, if somebody is listening to this and is a parent, helps them breathe a little bit easier because we're all just doing, I mean, everybody's doing the best they can with what they have. Yes. And a lot of times we're, we're surviving. Mm -hmm. And so how do we thrive? Mm -hmm. It's good. You know, where, where I stop, they begin, I don't need to begin with them, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's, that's the struggle. And you're not emotionally, I mean, you, I'm sure you love these guys that are in your home and, and I mean, you want to do everything you can to help, but you're not emotionally tethered to them the way that, that their family and, and parents are. You can you can have these hard conversations. You can have these, re- like, what are you proud of? Yeah. I mean, I, that, only you could get away with, <laughs> with yeah. saying that. So Well, and that's, you know, a good example is I recently was doing our family program and really a good man asked, how come they keep doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, talking about his son and the other men in, in our family program. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him, how come y'all keep bailing him out? You're paying his child support. <laughs> you know, the cops are showing up and you're letting them stay there. You're, you're doing, how come? Oh, and he goes, okay, touche. <laughs> That's really, really good. Yes. It's just, it's the tough love and the hard stuff that we all need to hear to get better, to, th- to not just survive, but to thrive. Yes. I love that. Um, how, how do you, how, I mean, parents, parents who have kids who are addicted and can't seem to get sober, how do you, how do you help them? How do you help them when they're, I mean, I just, I, I even think about that for one of my three children and it makes me sick to my, I can't imagine the worry. I can't imagine the sleepless nights. I can't imagine the fear of, of if my child continues down this road. I mean, it's death. And that's what I see. And with addiction, I mean, you... And many times it is. Yeah. And that's the scary thing. Yeah. And so, the, once again, with, with uh, the addict, it's, it's shame-based and it's, it's lonely. You know, mm-hmm. they, they might be around their peers. They get older and they more isolate. But to talk about parents or, you know, spouses or, or whoever it is that's married to or a parent of mm-hmm. uh, an addict... Is how I re- we focus on them is because we want them to get into community. Mm. You know, lots of times as a parent, there it's a shame based disease. Mm-hmm. You're ashamed, like oh, all of a sudden you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been I've been in the field of of helping others mm-hmm. for now 24 years, and I've yet to meet a perfect uh, parent. Right. I am not a perfect parent. Right. I'm and, not a perfect. And, parent, and so it's sure. like find others. Mm-hmm. That that are on this same path or further down the path mm-hmm. to help encourage you. Mm-hmm. I, I love I love that statement. You know, let let us um, not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but mm-hmm. let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Oh, that's good. 
you know, and I, I want to encourage and find those programs. They, you know, in the recovery programs, there's Alcoholics Anonymous, there's Drug Addicts Anonymous, there's Cocaine Anonymous, there's all these uh, programs that are real self-help that will encourage you. Mm-hmm. There's the same thing for Al-Anon, mm-hmm. uh, which is the 12-step program for family members. Here in Dallas, you have Celebrate Recovery all over the place mm-hmm. that is connected with the churches. There's mm-hmm. a church here that has the prodigal ministry, mm-hmm. that we all have prodigal children. Mm-hmm. And really so it, it, so you don't feel so alone. Is it is it ever the parents' fault? Uh there's the four C's to answer your question. Mm-hmm. There's the four C's of the addict or alcoholic. Mm-hmm. They con, conquer, confuse, and control you. Mm. Okay. I love what Al-Anon says. Al-Anon says you didn't cause it. You can't cure it. You can't control it. But there's a four C that I like to add, but you can contribute. Mm. Mm. So it, it when it, to answer your question, they, they didn't cause this, they can't mm-hmm. cure it, but they can contribute it mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And I see that on a daily basis when they're, when they're constantly bailing um, their loved one out, mm-hmm. when they're constantly covering up. You, you see these spouses mm-hmm. that aren't honest with their friends mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and stuff like that. What, what does an alcoholic look like? If if somebody's listening and they're they're wondering if their child or their spouse or partner is an alcoholic, what does an alcoholic look like? It it looks like anybody mm. and everybody. Mm. You know, but I, I like looking at that uh, if they're that actor trying to run the whole show, mm. trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery and the rest of the players in their own way. It, that actor might sometimes be quite virtuous, kind, considerate, modest, even self-sacrificing. He also might be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. Mm. You know, so that so there's that person that's always that many times is trying to run the show, trying to you know grab life out and stuff like that. How what what makes an alcoholic? The allergy of the body and the obsession <laughs> of the mind. <laughs> but how much, like, just if if the person I'm with or my son or my daughter is is drinking, to what point? I mean, what 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 are the symptoms? What are the signs? How do I know? Um, I I understand if they're trying to control. That makes sense to me. But if I'm just looking at their behaviors and I'm scratching my head and I'm worried, but I don't know. Well, I think there's a little difference with when you're talking to adolescents, the the brain's still developing. And Mm -hmm. that's why I encourage adolescents not to drink. Actually, the drinking age should be 22 years old, not 21, because your brain is is more developed at 22 than it is at 21. Mm -hmm. So the more you you put chemicals in your system that affect the brain, Mm -hmm. um, it, it really increases the odds the younger you start the greater the chance is for uh addiction now there's a lot of people especially young people in in high school and college that that are real more heavy drinkers or heavy partiers Mm -hmm. and so they some people might think oh they're they're a alcoholic drug addict when that they actually aren't you know so the deal is a, a good measuring stick, mm-hmm. you can't do this with your adolescent, but you can do this with someone that is drinking age. 
go try some controlled drinking. Have one or two drinks. Mm-hmm. You know, give them that opportunity to try some controlled drinking. Mm-hmm. And if they can do that for a you know a time period, mm-hmm. then they're probably not alcoholic. They were probably heavy drinkers. Mm-hmm. That's okay. that's a good that's a good measuring yeah. stick. Or, yes. So if they can drink, if somebody can drink without consequences, yeah, without you know just opening their throat, mm-hmm. you know, time and time mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then they're you know they're they probably had some they probably they might have had some consequences, but they're more of that heavy drinker. What's the hardest part of your job? Right now, mm-hmm. I'd say today it's uh, this whole marijuana crap. Tell me what's happening with the marijuana crap. <laughs> the, the, the marijuana crap, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, our age, you and I's age, that smoked pot back in the, you know, 80s or even 90s. Mm-hmm. And now we're legalizing it all over, you know, the country. Many states are legalizing it and stuff like that. And, and people believe, ah, it's, you know, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, they're comparing it to alcohol. And they, these young people are, are getting addicted to marijuana and what's happening they're coming into my office they're calling me well it's just marijuana mm-hmm. you know they're minimizing it they're not holding people accountable mm. well and, so, and it is everywhere i mean it's probably about to be legal in texas you know within the next i mean you hear it's coming everywhere it, it is crazy yeah. and you know and i i went to my 30th high school reunion last year and just i, I saw my buddies smoking it and they might be able to smoke it and not be addicted Mm-hmm. You know, but then when their kids struggle, they're calling me and I'm going, mm-hmm. you got to stop that crap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hate pot. Yes. I mean, I think it's just, I, I, well, I, I, I don't know. I'm not a big drug. <laughs> I'm, I'm like 40, 47, you know, I don't know. Wow. Who? <laughs> Hush. <laughs> it's just, it's, it, it's just unbelievable. I mean, I hear that pot is huge in our communities and with our kids. Oh, it is. It's mm-hmm. it's easier to conceal, you know, mm-hmm. carry, do all Cover those, up smell, probably. Cover up the smell, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have heard that marijuana is not addictive, but you're saying it is. Yeah, it's crazy. I just uh, was looking at something about marijuana, mm-hmm. and just on, uh, let me pull this up. Yeah. So people can't see, but you're looking up something yes. on your phone. <laughs> there are more uh, marijuana dispensaries in Denver than Starbucks and McDonald's combined. Stop. Yeah, I mean that's that's the deal. Uh, you'd have to smoke 15 joints in 1970 to get the same high as just one joint today. Oh. In 1996, the average level of THC in marijuana was five percent or less. Today, it's 30 percent THC is the norm. Uh, in Colorado, there are now more powerful concentrates that have THC level as high as 98%. That's the wax and the dabs. And how they're smoking the wax and dabs is like how people smoked back in the 80s. You'd see on TV the crack cocaine out of a glass pipe. Mm. Okay. Um, indoor marijuana growing operations account for 1% of the total electricity use in the U.S., producing greenhouse gas emissions equal to that of three million cars what yeah it's crazy pesticide levels six times the 
maximum allowed by the federal government have been found in and on plants quarantined at marijuana grow houses in Denver. Wow. Wow. You know, so it's it's just crazy statistics that mm-hmm. uh, pe- people are doing it because it's easy money for governments. Mm. You know, and governments are making compromising decisions. Yeah. State and local is what I'm talking about and our, our U.S. government. Is marijuana the gateway drug? In a lot of ways, it is. Mm-hmm. It's it, the beginning. It, it's the beginning because the, the high is even more intense mm. uh, than it was 20 years ago, than it was 40 years ago. Mm. And so it, it opens it up. But sometimes it doesn't have to be even gateway. A lot of times alcohol is not the gateway. You, you have alcoholics. Mm-hmm. You know, we also know that uh, chronic marijuana use uh, can... Uh, they, they just came out with a study. You lose eight IQ points. You don't get them back. Every time you use? No, you if mean? you're a chronic marijuana oh, okay. user. Okay, okay, Not okay. eight time every I'm time like, you what? use. I'm like, what? No, a total, <laughs> it, you know, stuff like that. Well, you could tell me anything and I would believe you. Tell <laughs> little That's I know scary. about <laughs> So for parents and, and people who have loved ones who struggle with addiction. Yes. What is what is the remedy? What 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 is the remedy? I wish, I wish there was just a real quick answer. The remedy, mm-hmm. you know, it is a process. Mm-hmm. I love in the treatment industry. It's been around a long time. There's a lot of positive things that have come about. Is trust the process, mm-hmm. and lots of times it is a process. Mm-hmm. You know, so so the in one way the remedy is to trust the process, trust others, do your research. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're looking for a facility, you know, seek professional help. Don't just go to the internet and pull up the the prettiest thing. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in our industry right now, a lot of private equity has come in, and so private equity is looking at bottom line. So I'm not sure they're really. Uh, in it for the best way. They might bring some positive things. They mm-hmm. influx a lot of capital, but a lot of times they're just uh, they they're into bottom line. They're not into what's best for that person, mm-hmm. that individual. Mm-hmm. And so, do your research. Ask questions. You know, talk if you're looking for a facility. Ask if you can talk to alumni. Ask if you can talk to uh, family members that have sent their loved ones to that program. Mm-hmm. You know, get That's to good. know the. Get to know the people that are behind, that are behind the scenes. It's mm, good. Yes. To someone who is struggling with addiction, I imagine that there are a lot of people who are struggling with addiction that um, think or hope that they're really good at hiding it. That, I think there's that, but also mm-hmm. another acronym I like is um, they're they're consumed in fear. Yeah. You know the acronym for fear? Mm-mm. False evidence appearing real. Mm, that's really really good. And so lots of times that that fear paralyzes the the person that is struggling mm-hmm. to get help. They have this false evidence appearing real that if they get help no one's going to like them, they're going to lose their job, mm-hmm. all this baloney. Mm-hmm. Okay? But what there's another acronym for fear, face everything and recover. Mm-hmm. And so when you have when you have that, it's like, you know, I want to challenge the person struggling to quit believing the lies. Mm. You know, in the state of Texas, you know, FMLA gives you 12 weeks off to get help for addiction. Wow. I did not know that. Yes. That's great. Yes. And so you can get up to 12 weeks off it's for really addiction. Great. You know, it's the same thing if you have cancer or any other mm-hmm. debilitating disease. Mm-hmm. 
you can get that time off. It's really good. To get help. Mm-hmm. But people believe the lie. Mm. And and are the I'm sure the lies are all different. It's not going to work. Everything about me is going to change. Nobody's... Uh, well, one of the biggest lies is terminal uniqueness. I am different than you. Mm. Mm. You know, you might have different wounds, different traumas, but man, the... The allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind is the same. Mm. And there is a spiritual remedy. You're mm-hmm. not God, mm-hmm. so you better find one. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> Amen to that. Yes. Amen to that. Well, Chico, thank you so much for coming. I feel like we just scratched the surface on this. I have so many more questions. Maybe we can maybe we can get you back in here. Oh, that would I, be great. Yeah. I would love that. I'd love that. I want to, uh, yeah, there's just a lot more questions yes. that I have for you. So thank you so much for coming and, and congratulations tomorrow on oh. 29 years sober. It's amazing. Wow, it is by God's yeah. grace. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right.